another edition of the IDCA to infinity and paradigm and beyond, where we bring to the most organized faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid con discussions on topics pertaining to digital transformation, cloud, IoT, edge computing, data centers, big data, infrastructure, and more. This time, I'm joined by Ryan Fay, CIO for ACI Specialty Benefits and a 30 under 30 top CIO in Forbes. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm really happy to have you on. You guys are doing some really exciting stuff, and um, I think our listeners will uh, gain a lot from the experience you have, not only in rapidly growing a business, integrating uh, other companies into your business, but successfully bridging the gap between what most companies have in the form of IT and engineering into one larger um, value-add technology organization that's helping you approach some serious problems, both at the edge and, and through digital transformation, et cetera. But before we get into the, the tech stuff, uh, tell us a little bit about Ryan. You know, what do you like doing on the weekend? Uh, where did you come from? How'd you get in IT? Yeah, absolutely. So on the weekends, I'm not sure what that is. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, running a global organization is quite the challenge. And I think a lot of times, you know, I really enjoy what I'm doing, you know, from a technology perspective. I love technology. I love learning about new technology. I love implementing technology. But beyond all that, I just love business. And I've always just been drawn to how businesses scale and how they're able to do what they do. So for me, a lot of times, you know, Outside of my day-to-day -day operations and my job, I am on a lot of different startup boards, helping different startups be able to understand, scale, effectively use both public and private cloud technologies. Um, you know, married, so you know, whenever my wife and I do get some time together, we love to go out to good restaurants. We love eating. We love traveling. Um, so we try to travel as much as possible. Um, beyond that, it's really just being able to, you know, share some time with friends and family and have the ability to unwind a bit and then let the mind rust a bit so that way you can, you know, kind of disengage from a lot of different, you know, obviously mobile devices and being able to have time to uh, reconnect, you know, as well. But how I got into the space is my father was the president of Avnet. So they're, they're a pretty big company and I've was always kind of grew up in a space where um, hardware, hardware, hardware. In fact, I would never got a gaming console or anything I ever wanted. It was always hardware, build your own console, do this. And there was a, a paradigm shift, you know, when I started going to college and my father said, you know, hardware was great, but software is going to rule the world. So you really should be looking to software. So I really focused a lot of my efforts on the software aspect side of that, which has paid off um, quite well. But my first job, I was, you know, a network administrator, started kind of where a lot of folks start in the industry. I was pulling and running cables, doing a lot of drops, understanding the whole infrastructure side, the networking side. And then from there, I just kind of kept evolving and I realized I really love the business side of the operations. Um, so I was able to shift over to more of a business role. And then from there, uh, now it's just leading a global business and technology strategy for essentially a company that we're growing at roughly 300% per year. So it's been a really fun and exciting um, roadmap for, for what I've been working on, but it's also just been a really exciting time to be a technology expert in the space. Uh, I mean, it, you've you've managed in a, you know, ten or so year period of your of your primary career to, to encompass what uh, most IT organizations take thirty years to go through, and and uh, I think it's um, uh, not only an amazing story but uh, uh, an incredible um, uh, goalpost for other companies that are struggling with um, many of the big decisions that IT and and businesses face today. 
uh, in moving forward and, and trying to become a platform or, or going through digitization. Uh, and frankly, uh, you know, it, I know one of the topics we are considering talking about today is edge computing. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to jump right into that edge role. And you think about uh, one of the things that I've noticed uh, relative to uh, modern companies that are attempting to be global and trying to be really in every country, not just have a name in every country. Uh, and when they're in every country and, and building something that is um, accessible and usable uniquely uh, in, an, in maybe what somebody would call an edge compute type of format, it requires uh, you know, a much better, uh, a much more comprehensive ability to address the norms and requirements of each specific country, whether it's around data protection, whether it's around network access, whether it's around working with local telcos, whatever it is. So what have you done uh, from an edge compute standpoint, thinking about where ACI specialty is going? Um, what, do you, what have you guys done to try to accommodate that? I mean, I'm sure you're not trying to build 10-person teams in every country to handle edge infrastructure questions and stuff. So how do you, how do you work that? So with edge computing was something that we started looking at um, last couple of years here. And we we're trying to figure out, you know, we had a lot of these centralized data centers and we had a lot of storage repositories, but we're also using a lot of different, um, you know, CDNs, content delivery networks through GCP and AWS to cache a lot of these low balancing for HTTPS. You know, we had edge points that were distributed on, on, on presence. So what we're trying to figure out was what's the best way for us to be able to deliver a strategy that was streamlined, effective and efficient but also to ensure that we had the ability to, if needed, scale out you know, a mesh network, if you would, of micro data centers that'd be able to help us with latency, help us to ensure that we had the right repositories in place and that we were able to deliver you know, devices that were, may have ranged from IoT devices all the way to increasing the user experience when it came to you know, edge local processing from a multi-cloud strategy, be able to process that, and be able to process a lot of different you know, high intensity data that was coming in from wearable devices because you don't want to push a lot of this very highly latent sensitive data throughout entire workflow you had throughout your network because as soon as you do that, as you know, the IO uh, capacity is going to be able to have a lower output, which is going to increase your cloud costs if you're using cloud technologies. It's also going to slow down the pipelines depending on what you have going on. So we, we created a, a fog network that essentially would be able to have, you know, information spread between multiple different connected edge devices. So that way we could focus on creating the best use case for each one of our client experiences. So if someone came in, one of our clients, and they were able to deploy something, we wanted it to be obviously deployed as close as possible to where they were coming from. So obviously having geographic location in the same region for compliance and regulations, being able to make sure that the data is being stored in the right area, maybe it's being stored as close as possible to where it's being gathered for again, for compliance regulatory issues, but also to create the best user experience possible too when it comes to security. So part of this is really around, you know, the edge security and how do you make sure that you have the right fundamentals, you know, is it the edge devices, the edge itself, the gateways, the clients, there's, there's so many different aspects. And as you create a lot of these mini um, data centers that you're rolling out, it's very difficult because things are becoming more converged and systems are becoming more storage based, you know, so if you're using stuff like Snowball from AWS, for example, um, you can deploy that on edge um, in real time. But as soon as you start looking at, you know, different use cases around 5G scenarios, obviously that build out is going to change and you have to figure out okay, what devices am I collecting this data from and how can I optimize that collection to ensure that we have the best user experience as possible? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, 
it's it's such a a big problem to solve. And and so, you know, one of the one of the things that uh, I go back and forth on, and and I, I I think I even covered it in one or two of the blogs that I wrote about Edge recently, but um, is the is is the thinking ahead of time for some of the challenges that trying to do not only massive um, scale in small bites, but uh, you know geographically distributed infrastructure and applications, you know what what you have to solve ahead of time so that you're not setting yourself up to um, effectively say you know every time I add five new locations, whatever those locations are, or you know a thousand new devices. Uh, et cetera, I've got to add this much new, uh, this many new people or this many new skill sets or whatever the case may be. So how did you guys approach that from the beginning to try to um, make sure that what you put out there, you could effectively um, manage, you know, without putting yourself in a. Yes, yeah, so we actually did it probably in a different way than most companies are deploying, you know, edge. You know, we, we looked at it from more of a data governance perspective. So we figured out, first of all, where do we want this data to be stored? And if we want this data to always be stored in this geographic location at all times for regulatory issues, and we're looking from a data gravity perspective to have this data stored, you know, at X, Y, Z, whatever it may be, then let's build out, you know, a network here. And then we can kind of get rid of what we're using before, which was a content delivery network that was essentially pieced together by multiply globally distributed, you know, edge points, a presence, and then we could get rid of the caching issue we're having. Thus, we could increase, you know, the throughput, which would, you know, decrease latency and would increase our user experience for our customers worldwide. So that's kind of how we first went about it was, what areas are we having the biggest issues right now when it comes to caching content on edge? And then from there, we initially partnered with, you know, companies like Google Cloud Platform, and we partnered with AWS, Amazon Web Services, and we essentially decided to say, okay, we can look at what they're doing. We can leverage some the technology that they're that they're using potentially, but that didn't really solve a root issue. And even if you're using the technology, it's what use case is actually going to give you long-term storage, and how you're going to be, you know, having local edge compute systems that can compile and make sure that they're doing what they need to do in real time. So, as you start building out more and more edge for lack of better words, networks, you know, you start creating more fault computing, which is then connecting all these edge uh, devices together, and then you're having more complexity. So for us, it was more just about trying to create the simplest network as possible in areas that we needed to keep data secure, or we needed data to be, you know, um, stored or maintained for regulatory issues. And then from there, we worked backwards to creating um, what we refer to as our, you know, edge-first compute. And then from there, we did focus on mobile edge compute, and then now we're partnering with telecom providers to have 5G scenarios, connectivity, to then build out even faster, better edge compute systems. Um, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and it's, it's obvious that you guys put a lot of thought into um, how you were going to address the market rather than uh, just attempting to throw something into the market. Uh, and, you know, when, when I've thought about um, edge computing in general, I, I see uh, for, the, for the average company trying to approach taking a new product or opportunity or customers uh, out to the edge, uh, trying to uh, refine their deliverable, their their total cost of ownership, uh, um, and their customer experience requirements against uh, what is a literally a define as you go set of technology capabilities. It seems like an almost overwhelming problem for some. Did you guys did you use any kind of um, in a way to break down the problem with your team to try to really focus on on you know 
addressing individual core requirements first, rather than saying, wow, this is a big, painful picture. Uh, you know, how do we approach it? Yeah, so we were actually probably pretty uniquely positioned to attack this, you know, problem. So one, one of the areas that we actually um, had a competitive advantage in is that we actually would house employees, our employees, on site at corporations, and they would give us a small area where we'd have essentially our employees to be able to be, you know, have offices in, or they'd have access to networks. So what we started doing is we started scaling out essentially one by one, these little small, um, almost micro data centers that we'd have on site at the firm that they were, were servicing, you know? So we hire our employees, but they act and feel like they're employees at the company that they're working for because that drives engagement. But then we have access to their networks, which gives us the ability to create our own um, mesh network with them essentially. So we started with just the use case we had, and a lot of it was due to latency. So if you're trying to store data in real time, pass through data, especially wearable data, that was coming from a client back to us. It's much faster to cache it on point, you know, quote, quote, at the edge. Then we wanted to have any kind of data locality issues when it comes to actually reducing, you know, backhaul traffic, or we wanted to worry about repositories where we had them distributed. So from there, that was kind of the first use case is just network connectivity, keeping it as small as possible, and then trying to centralize as much of the processing or storage repository as possible to ensure we had almost like a colo that we created ad hoc. Then from there, we realized, you know, this is such a good use case, and we were saving about 60% total cost of ownership when it came to savings of what we we're actually creating. And the global economy just kind of took off when it came to creating huge opportunities for us because we were managing, you know, not only U.S. companies now, but international companies. And through the acquisition, we expanded to over, you know, 15 million lives now that we cover worldwide. So for us, we had the opportunity to now go into even more, um, you know, areas, I guess you could say, or geographic locations, and we use software to find those data center environments. And then from there, we just started to manage uh, this huge, you know, deluge of data we had from wearable, both medical and non-medical devices. And then we slowly just built it out from there. And then we created the fog network to be able to manage all those networks we had. And, and now we're kind of where we're at today. But a lot of it was due to compliance and it was due to latency issues we we're having. That's kind of how yeah, the first yeah. case started. Now, I mean, and so uh, outstanding, first of all, I mean, uh, you know, I, I just as a fellow practitioner, I would say congratulations on your efforts so far. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about before we even got started on the call, which I thought, you know, it's kind of too bad we can't include it in the in in um, in the overall podcast, but I'll try to bring up some of it again. And, that, you know, we talked a little bit about how, you know, the the and I'm going to approach it slightly differently here, but. What you're talking about, what you've just explained to whoever's listening, is how the CIO, in combination with his team, has uh, deployed what, for most organizations, would be considered um, external customer-facing applications. And for an organization that's attempting to really make themselves a platform for their customers and partners that oftentimes ends up being an engineering organization or what's euphemistically called an engineering organization that might be under a CTO or something else. Um, how, did you, how did you manage that? And, and what kind of uh, you know, struggles have you had trying to maintain your focus on the external customer while still delivering the traditional IT requirements that uh, your internal ACI specialty benefits uh, employees require? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think what happened is we had a paradigm shift in the marketplace where we were going 
towards a route of having engineering folks being able to deploy up to a more central CTO type person to be able to deliver you know, technology. What we realized though very quickly is by doing that, we're losing touch of the business applications, use cases, and overall desire of the business to be able to scale out and deploy. So what we started doing instead, and it's worked actually really well for us, is we included a lot of these DevOps, DecOps, engineering folks, you know, all the way down to data scientists we have to, you know, pretty much anybody that is falls under more of the technology uh, umbrella to be able to understand the business use case first. We, we, we pass it through business. So sitting in, you know, some of our executive meetings or board director meetings, whatever it is, we'll, we'll get a problem. And nine times out of 10, it's actually not a technology problem. It's actually a training problem. And if you're passing things directly through to engineering, they're going to try to engineer it to be better, faster, and more resilient, you know, while, while maybe creating a better user experience in the process. But I wanted to ensure whatever we were doing created the absolute best user experience. So that's where we start. And that normally starts with business units, stakeholders, to ensure that we understand the use case 100%. And oftentimes, we don't even when we feel like we do. So we're constantly iterating to ensure we're having a better, you know, user experience. So that's kind of where we started. And we realized that, you know, engineering, they, a lot of the folks that are doing data operations, they really don't care about the big picture operating. What they care about is their siloed area of what they want to create. This app connects to this area. Um, this connects to, you know, this different operation or this, you know, cloud native product or this, it's localized for this area, you know, for whatever it may be. And that's great if you want to run a siloed organization. We're trying to break down as many silos as possible and create a, more of a flat organization. So for me, it's really challenging our folks to say, why are we doing what we're doing? How can we do this better? And what do you think we're doing wrong? And as soon as you ask those questions, at least in my experience, what I've seen is people, they want to go above and beyond and make it an even better experience. So we've kind of got out of that, you know, whole mentality of, you know, engineering under engineering. And now engineering is kind of spread throughout the whole entire organization. We're slowly turning into a technology company. Um, and what's happening is, you know, everybody needs to be somewhat tech savvy. And it helps us to then make sure we're ensuring the product and the entire, you know, I could just say comprehensive core competencies that we deliver are not only efficient, but we're hoping they go above and beyond to create the absolute best, um, you know, user experience as possible. All right. So, you know, thinking about um, what you just talked about, Ryan, and the importance of, um, you know, thinking from the business perspective. Uh, and I'm going to throw you a little bit of a softball question relative to, you know, what I'm working on uh, with IDCA as chairman of the technical committee there. Uh, and the application framework. Uh, you know, you and I talked about that a little bit, but, you know, what's your perspective on the importance as you go through this kind of major transformation of your company and thinking really about how technology is and should be driven from the business first and how the application is what's important from an IT perspective, not specifically the data center or air conditioning or server type or OS type. Uh, you know, what do you see as the importance of of being able to use something like the application framework to really better understand what you have, how to build it, uh, uh, why you're building it, and how to measure it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, IDCA obviously the nail around the head by being able to say you need to be able to find, promote, and essentially be able to have a centric nature when it comes to the entire technology stack. And I, I think you all were the first one to actually formally recognize this. So this is definitely something that's becoming more and more important. And I would say it's definitely becoming almost the center of the business is having application centric, you know, uh, ability to not only have an ecosystem 
that essentially defines what's going on, but the whole entire, um, you know, workflow, the process, and just, just the overall outlined um, procedure that you all have. I, I think it's instrumental when it comes to defining both the infrastructure portion and also being able to have a framework, as you spoke to it earlier, that makes sure that you have focusing on what actually matters, you know, and, and each layer is going to be different aspect that matters more and more. And it's, it's, if you're not aligning those from the get-go and having good fundamentals, it's going to be becoming harder and harder to align those as time goes on. It's almost like when you're, you know, shoot a rocket in space, you know, if you're off trajectory by, you know, so much at land, it becomes even more, you know, by order of magnitudes as you get further and further out because of the way that you're trying to hit a moving target then. And that's the same way I look at this is if you're not, you know, dead on from the ground level, you're just going to get worse and worse as you're trying to hit a moving target. Right, right. No, and, and I obviously agree with that. I mean, it's um, when I first um, started working with uh, uh, Mehdi Paryavi, the the founder and and uh, president for Tech Exact, who's sponsor, who's sponsoring, uh, and and the founder for IDCA, who's sponsoring my you know efforts, um, uh, where I volunteer on the technical committee. Uh, it really was that uh, top down perspective that um, gave me hope. I see it as a um, as a very lofty goal but um, one that uh, the ID, IT industry as a whole has been um, lacking for the most part. And that shows up in everything from, uh, you know, failure to make proper transitions to, um, you know, failed architecture over time to, um, you know, buying too much or buying too little, uh, uh, not having the right contracts with partners um, uh, and or, you know, maybe even not even having the right people in the organization for the transitions or changes that you're planning. And, and so I, I see it as very critical. So uh, I appreciate your perspective on it. Uh, and so, you know, going beyond that a little bit and talking, you hinted at it, at, um, this next uh, question I'm going to ask uh, when we were talking about your efforts with edge and, and um, your, your work to try to combine what would uh, be, uh, might be considered uh, engineering in a company like Yelp or eBay or PayPal or something like that within the larger um, technology delivery scheme of IT. You know, talk a little bit about what you see as the importance and, and you know, how successful you guys have been, but then what the importance is of, of having a top-down from a leadership standpoint, having a top-down, um, uh, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about just IT leadership, but I'm talking about leadership in the entire company having a top-down focus on, on what this transformation means, you know, what approaching a, a, a net new strategy for, for market access and, and really trying to turn your company into a platform, you know, what does that mean? Because to me, and I know you agree with this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, to me, it's not, a, it's not so much a technology transformation as it is a company transformation that's supported by technology. Absolutely. I mean, you couldn't have said it better. The technology is actually the easiest part of the transformation. <laughs> it's the culture. It's the um, understanding of what you're doing. It's the right sizing. Everyone likes to use the term right sizing of technology. I think it's the right sizing of the entire organization. You know, yep. how is leadership making sure that we're setting a strategy and that we're able to execute on strategy, but also how are we making sure that we're confident that we're going to be able to hit these different, you know, milestones, KPIs, SLAs that we're promising our clients we're going to be able to hit because we're taking suicide calls. We're doing, you know, a lot of stuff around regulations and compliance and serving Oxley. So for us, if we're not right, it's not a matter of, oh, we had an outage. It could be a matter of life or death, literally for us, because that's the kind of calls we're taking in from an EAP perspective. So for us, we right. need to be 
110% certain this is going to work. And that, that's kind of the message I've been really trying to relay in, over the last, you know, eight years of the company is that we can't just be sure it's going to work. We need to be certain it's going to work. And then we need to quality assure that it's going to work. And then from there, then we can tell our clients that this will work. But I think, as you said, it's got to be a top down approach because what's happening is if you try to trinkle, you know, from the bottom, you know, it's obviously not going to work because there's such thing as gravity, unfortunately. And when it, yeah. when it comes to data gravity, I think it's the same thing when it comes to leadership gravity is how are you ensuring the right teams have the right access to the right folks at the very top to ensure that we're having pragmatic change that's sustainable. Anybody can go through a digital transformation. That's the easy yeah. part. The hard part is what do you do after that? And how do you sustain that momentum, that culture, that environment to ensure you don't have to go through another one in three years? Because the only thing worse than going through digital transformation right. is going through multiple digital transformations because you want to make sure that whatever you're creating, whatever standards are in place, something that can actually scale out as well, just like the technology. Yep. 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 No, I mean, it, it, to me, I mean, I realize I'm oversimplifying sometimes, but to me, uh, attempting to do a digital transformation from the technology side first is almost like saying, I don't have a company, but I'm going to build an IT organization and then I'm going to put a company on top of it. Right. I mean, that, that it just, it, obviously in, in separation from actual work effort, that sounds ridiculous. Nobody would do that. But we find, uh, you know, I'm sure you see it, I've seen it, we find all too often that IT organizations get themselves in the position, whether it's something as, as fascinating and new as approaching edge or approaching digital transformation, or as old and perceived as boring as, as disaster recovery, all too often it seems like there's a lack of momentum and, and uh, from the top and push from IT to educate to the top. And, and in the end, people are demanding technology solutions for an ill-defined or even completely undefined vision of the future. And it sounds like you guys have really solved that problem. You know, we're trying. It's, it's, a, it's a battle every day, you know, and, and I think part of the process was just explained to our board and our executive team that we can't have a 10-year strategy for technology because what was happening 10 years ago in technology, you know, it's, it's, we're in a completely different place, you know, but marketing, um, finance, you know, every other department is expected to have these long roadmaps. So I think as explaining, we can have incremental bite size change and that's the best way to go about it is to have these, you know, we refer to it as, as sprints, you know, we're very agile and we have multiple sprints going on in multiple different environments from multiple different business units and multiple different engineering groups and multiple different, you know, from the high level, even leadership sprints. So I think most people think sprints is a DevOps thing. I, I think it's sprints almost as a mindset. So even from a leadership team, yep. we're having many sprints in each one of our executive meetings where we're trying to solve these issues and we're trying to break down barriers because at the end of the day, a scrum meeting really is just to break down barriers and ensure that you have pragmatic scalability. So I think it's that yeah. fundamental mindset from the top up then that then translate all the way down, you know, um, to unfortunately all the way down means normally infrastructure level. And then we're able to architecture out right size that functionality because we've already right sized the business. And then from there, it's just connecting the dots, you know, which sounds easy, but it's, it's still difficult, but you know, uh, much more easy yeah. to connect the dots than it is to find the dots. So that's kind of what we're strategizing yeah. for, yeah. for 2020 is being able to have, this master roadmap that's actually not even a roadmap. Maybe it's just a, a list of maps that we've used in the past. But then when we want to go on another one of these, you know, endeavors, we were able to then look back and say, oh, we made a pit stop here. That was a good idea. Or, you know, we really should have sprinted a little harder here. Or, you know, we went too far here. So it's, it's really just making sure you have sustainability in a framework to go back to the framework to ensure yep. you, you know what right. you know, because unfortunately, 
you don't know what you don't know. And that is normally what hurts most organizations the most. Yeah, yeah, you know everything, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I want to um, uh, just, you know, as we get towards the end of this uh, podcast, and, and I, I wish we could just keep talking. I, I know how busy you are. Uh, and so that's, uh, um, and you know, reality is, is nobody can afford to listen to a two hour podcast, probably, <laughs> but um, this is, this is such fun stuff. And, and um, you know, where you are and what you're doing is, is so interesting uh, to me. And I'm sure it's interesting to pretty much everyone that would listen. Um, but if you, and you could do one takeaway or, you know, three takeaways, whatever you feel comfortable with, but uh, you know, it, as you, as we close this out, you know, what would you tell folks? I mean, some of the things that I think about and, and you can decide whether to, to play off of this or come up with your own answers was like, how do you, how do you incent the people in your organization the right way? How do you get them to not um, succumb to following the, what is the easy route for most technologists? The easy route is head down at the monitor, head down on their phone, not going out and exploring the business, not looking at how, as you even mentioned earlier, their technology um, uh, is influenced by or influences other parts of the organization or other parts of the infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. You know, again, pick whatever you want, but I'm looking for some tidbits to take away that might help other people that are attempting to go through the same thing that you are. Yeah, I think the highest tidbits just going to be, you know, proofs in, you know, the actual deliverable that you are able to deliver, you know? So for me, what it come down, comes down to is, you know, a lot of folks on my team, they don't want to be in meetings and presenting their ideas and taking credit for what they're doing. You know, in, in reality, they really want to be able to keep their head down, as you said, and be at the monitor and be able to get work done. So it's taking everybody out of their comfort zone, which at first is very difficult, but then showing them there's value because that, that's the main key. There's no value. No one's going to want to do what they're doing, but there's value to be able to be showing what you're working on, how you're working on it, coming in and presenting. And I think what happens is there's a shift then in both the ideology, but also in just the fundamental, I would say, culture of the company where if you can get technical folks talking with non-technical folks and you're solving problems that may or may not be related to technology, the outcome, in my opinion, is always going to be something that's going to be greater you know, than if you had just two technology folks talking or just two business folks talking. So for me, it's trying to connect, again, the dots of the two different folks that can really solve the root problem. You know? So that, that's, that's the first thing. Okay. The second thing is make sure you understand the business problem better than you think you do. <laughs> and what I mean by that is everybody thinks they understand the problem that they're having from a business perspective. Nine times out of 10, we spend so much time and energy trying to understand from technology perspective how we can fix that, that really the problem is around training. So I think training is, is, is a huge area that almost every organization can improve on. It's having, you know, built-in functionality for, you know, help files, built-in functionality for frequently asked questions, built-in functionality when it comes to anything that may be related to training aspect. And then lastly, encourage your team to, I wouldn't say fail, but encourage your team to learn learning sometimes involves failing. So I hate saying, you know, we encourage people to fail because I don't think anybody ever wants to fail, but we encourage you to learn. And if you happen to fail while you're learning, then that's great. But now let's help other people in the organization not have to learn the same lessons you've learned so they don't fail. And we can ensure that we have a organization that is, you know, creating a one plus one because of the relationship, which is at the end of the day, what everyone's trying to create. They want to go to a place that is exciting, that they feel like they're adding to the bottom line. But also people feel like they can actually have a say in that what, what they say goes. So it's involving stakeholders early on 
even if you're going to do the exact same thing that you were going to do without their input, asking for input is a very valuable lesson uh, for a lot of folks. And even if you don't take their feedback and put it in the end product, you know, or, or, the, or the final production environment, it's still making people feel like they have a say in what's going on and they're part of the bigger picture. Right. No, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think that's great advice for anyone that's listening. Um, uh, there are a lot of nuggets in what you described there. And, uh, you know, this is a, a complex time. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I first, I, I just want to say congratulations to the work you guys are doing. Uh, I certainly, for one, hope that we can um, stay in contact and, and I can follow um, your progress as you continue to move forward and, and really, um, you know, expand on what you started in turning ACI specialty benefits into a into a platform company as opposed to, you know, a product or or just a traditional service company. And I think it's fantastic. And, and really, uh, you are becoming, in my mind anyway, you're becoming one of the bellwethers for the companies that need to make that transition. And, and I've been known to say that the companies that don't make that transition over the next five years are likely to not be in business anymore. Uh, and uh, so I, I think it's vital that if you're not on that path already, uh, you should take some of the advice that... Um, uh, that Ryan has uh, has passed along today and, and use it to your benefit. So Ryan, anything you'd like to say in closing before we wrap up? A couple of things. First off, Mark, I appreciate the, the opportunity to speak and talk about some of this really exciting stuff that's happening right now. Also, I, I want to say thank you again. I mean, I follow you on a lot of social platforms. So you always share knowledge. You're always going above and beyond. You're always answering questions that people have. And you partake in a lot of different groups on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And, you know, it's folks like you that really encourage other folks. And, um, you know, you definitely encouraged me in the past. So I definitely appreciate you going above and beyond to help explain a lot of these complex problems and a lot of these complex strategies. So um, I wish there was more people like you in the world. So thanks again for, you know, sharing your knowledge. Oh, man, you're you too kind. And the check is in the mail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. I appreciate much. it. All right. So again, um, folks, uh, that, uh, uh, wrapping up uh, today with this fantastic call with Ryan Fay. Um, and uh, I'd like to thank Ryan again for joining me on the episode and uh, join us next time where we uh, are joined by Scott Nopum, longtime data center guru and founder uh, and CEO of LitBit. If you'd like to nominate anyone to join me in a future podcast, please email us at podcast at idc-a.org. Until next time, I'm Mark Teeley, and you can find me on Twitter at mteeley10. And Ryan, as we wrap up, where can folks find you online? Because you gave me all kinds of compliments about my online activity, but um, you're no slouch yourself. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, and my handle is just Ryan C. Fay, and I'm on LinkedIn under Ryan Fay. And um, yeah, those are the main two areas that I like to um, chat with other folks in the industry. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. And, and folks, if you haven't uh, already uh, started following Ryan, you absolutely should because he gives out fantastic advice and uh, is always business focused, which I think no matter how many times we tell ourselves that we need to be more business focused, um, we almost always fall back on the easy part, which is technology. So follow him and, and keep yourself reminded that that's where we uh, need to start and end our day as, um, as IT folks. Ryan, thanks again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thanks so much.